Conrad, who is the loved one that you would like to see more to eye with about a certain topic? My father, Peter. I would like you to convince him that millennials are doing it tougher than boomers did. So I can't see why he would be saying that, you know, they've had it harder. Dad, we've had this conversation so many times. Free education, housing markets locked out, you guys control all the wealth. I immigrated from Europe, didn't speak a word of English, ended up in public schools, was kind of went to private schools. Peter, would you give me 10 minutes to try to change your mind? Okay. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. This Quarkast podcast is brought to you by the new book, Sola Deus, by Keith Giles. What if God is all of us? If God is the one in whom we all live and move and have our being, then perhaps we are the ones in whom God lives and moves and has being. If so, where does God end and where do we begin? In this new book, author Keith Giles asks us to reconsider our common assumptions about God and ourselves in ways we've never imagined before. Sola Deus, available on Amazon from Choir Publishing. Get yours today. G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Ideas Digest podcast where we explore the challenging ideas from different perspectives and try and break our own biases. My name's Conrad. And my name's Alice. Special what? No, not a special welcome. Just a regular welcome to YouTube friends of the show. Like, subscribe, bell if you're watching us here. Podcasting friends, special welcome to you guys. You're in the podcast land, in your ears, personal relationship. It's great. And super friends, super welcome. You are the ones that support dialogue over division and help us build bridges between worlds at war. So many thanks to you super friends. Now, Alice, ideas continue to divide not only society, not only friends, but also family members Mm -hmm. and here on ideas digest if you look at the little pictures that pop up on instagram and on youtube if you're watching the visuals i have this little graphic that people are confused by and it's a little bridge and there's one town on one side and it's in it's flaming and it's on fire it's like a war zone and then on the other side there's another town that's equally damaged and then there's a bridge and when we ask hey what percentage of this idea do you believe in? And we try and encourage people to like sit in the middle. We're not always 100% on something. We might be 90. And then a little soldier walks across the bridge because ideas are a war zone. Obviously, war zones do a lot of damage to the people we love the most. Alice, I would like to see if we can use our our skills, (laughs) the talents that we have hopefully cultivated in like breaking our own biases by picking up ideas we may or may not believe by flipping a coin, but try and turn them onto friends of the show and bring family members closer together by trying to share a 
perspective that the loved one might have to another loved one. So we can't ask our friends of the show to bring their personal relationships to us if we ourselves have not done it. Yes, we have a very, very special episode of Ideas Digest to give to you guys today because we are going to be walking what we talk and exploring. <laughs> walking what we talk. Yes, uh, yes, walking what we talk, right? <laughs> practicing what we preach. Practicing what we are going to be practicing what we preach and we are inviting our family members on the show, we are going to see if we can change the mind of our family members, move them just a little bit closer down that bridge to where we might sit. Where we meet in the middle and maybe embrace with a little hug because we all have different ideas, but maybe we can just edge each other a little bit closer or at least offer some insight and understanding. Yes. Into the other person. So Yes, strengthen the bridge, if you will. So it's not hanging by oh, a few threads. Strengthen the bridge of relationships so you can cross it more readily. You don't have to yeah. stay there, no. but you can visit the town. That's what we're doing, Alice. And you we're, understand what it's made of. <laughs> we're letting people visit the opposing camp in a ceasefire, if you yes. will. <laughs> Truce. So I'll change, the, I'll change the graphic. There's a bloke with a with like a, a, a gun cruising across as a soldier ready to do battle. But how about we put our guns down, wander across and take a look around the town? So, Conrad, who is the loved one that you would like to see more to eye with about a certain topic? Well, Alice, the loved one I'd like to nominate and bring offer offer up to you to help change their mind is my father your dad now we have like a pretty good relationship we're not estranged you know we you know he he calls me regularly which i appreciate because i'm not great at calling but often when we get together we talk about certain topics and we just kind of keep coming back to the same one and we just get stuck in gridlock and i can very easily sometimes deliberately bring up this topic and it then it will trigger him into like his entrenched position i won't budge in my position and then we kind of end in stony silence in the car and then five minutes later he'll be the one to go so what are you doing this week? And shift and shift topic. So he's very good at he's very good at recovering Aww. from the from from where this leads. Yeah. The topic I would like you to change Peter's mind about. Okay. I think his attitudes towards millennials is one of as if we are the avocado on toast generation. So I would huh. like you to convince him that millennials are doing it tougher than boomers did. Okay. That's what I would like. Okay. 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 Oh, this sounds like this sounds like a fun and I will say very relatable challenge. <laughs> um, I feel like, uh, on behalf of all millennials yes. and father relationships, yes. we will stand in as the proxy. Yes. 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 Okay. So, if I am able to persuade your dad to better understand your position, how mm, might this help yeah. improve your relationship? Well, I feel like it's all about understanding, right? And. And maybe deep down, if I'm vulnerable for our friends of the show here, you kind of always want your dad's approval. And it's not like I don't have it. It's not like he Mm -hmm. neglects me or whatever. But I just feel like if he understood the struggles I have, the unique struggles, he Mm. might understand me better and then maybe like respect me a little bit more. Like instead Mm. of maybe, oh, Conrad's just, you know, off gallivanting around podcasting and traveling. What an easy life he's got. And I know it looks that way, but... (laughs) I feel like he would then look at my Mm. struggles and go, wow, I really respect 
what he's doing. And, and maybe he does. I don't know. But I, I just want to feel that more, Alice. Maybe. Mm, okay. Okay. All right. So. More father approval. Can you can you make my dad approve of me oh. even more than he already does? I, I will do my darndest. <laughs> okay. So you're like me. You're in your 30s, correct? Correct. Okay. So so give me, give me your formulated judgments about him. Mm-hmm. From your lots. life. T- okay. Yes. <laughs> Hit me with them. Let's, we'll go down our categories we normally do. Okay. Political, mm-hmm. he is a conservative. And I think conservative by nature, meaning mm. he has more affinity to re- preserving the past and more hesitant towards change. So okay. he has been a lifelong Liberal Party voter. Uh, our, our discussions may have shifted that, but he won't tell me who he voted for in the last election. <laughs> so I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> okay, okay. So an Australian Liberal Party voter means that to the American equivalent, he would be a Republican Party voter. Just reiterating, yeah. because we have new yeah. friends of the show. He's class, solid middle class, but Im- immigrant background comes from working class. So he worked hard and every bit of middle class he's earned, he's, he's worked hard for it. So okay. from, from class shift, he's the generation of class shift. Immigrant from where, may I ask? Poland. Poland, okay. Yes, so came, came from Poland when he was nine years old. Uh, education. He's got a master's. He's an educator himself. He's, he was a school principal. He's now retired. And okay. he's, I'd say, reasonably educated. Religion, Protestant, quite religious, enjoys going to church weekly. He's a boomer. And like group affiliations, I feel like lately he's really identifying with role of grandfather. Oh, okay. Okay, so he's your dad. So you know him pretty well. And I'm wondering if you can give me any sort of insider advantage. We're going to bend the rules a little bit this episode because it is a family episode. So I'm going to ask for just a little bit of a competitive edge here from you who knows your dad so well. What can you tell me about the type of person he is? What his sensitive spots might be? Kind of like his operating system for how he filters in the world. Let's use use some broad typology markers that Uh you and I at least are both familiar with. With and friends of the show will be if they're not already. So hit me with like his Enneagram, his Myers-Briggs type, his astrology sign, okay. any, any sort of like broad <laughs> paintbrush stroke you can give me. Okay. I got my broad brush out. I, I don't know Myers-Briggs. Okay. But I, I believe if, if anyone's familiar with the Enneagram, he's an Enneagram six. Security seeking. Okay. Thank you. So I guess the stereotype of a Enneagram six in a nutshell is very security seeking. Uh, as far as uh, astrology goes, Scorpio, and I okay. have no idea what that means. Okay, so we're we're going to be talking more about different types of biases potentially on this show. And okay. uh, let's assume that maybe we've shared or maybe we will share a visual list of different types of biases with our friends of the show. And if yep. you could tell me about this particular issue, do millennials have it harder than boomers? What type of bias do you think your dad has um, or that you feel from him? On this issue. Yeah, on this issue. Breaking out our own bias is always very difficult, but diagnosing it in somebody else, super easy. So I've got a couple that... that I reckon. Okay. And for friends of the show, we'll put up on Instagram the different ones you can go through and diagnose your friends and family. You've got this bias. You've got that bias. Don't worry about looking at yourself. That's too difficult. Uh, so I would say 
contact bias when so like when someone doesn't have sustained personal contact with that type of a different sort of person it's hard for you to see I, I think most of his world he's not like around millennials he's got me but that's kind of it so i think contact he just he just obviously can't see that world view and maybe that leads to confirmation bias hmm. we like we judge new ideas mm-hmm based on the ease with which they fit our current worldview. So I'm bringing in these new ideas. His whole world hasn't understood the unique challenges from the perspective of a millennial. Mm -hmm. So obviously I think he would have that bias, just the lack of of life experience and that would lead to that bias perhaps. Sure, you don't know what you don't know about and how would you know about it unless you were interacting with it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, does your dad have any particular weak spots or achilles heels or mm, a weak spot to jab okay uh-huh. i yeah. think his achilles his achilles heel is reconnecting with like his emotions and maybe mm, appealing to feeling okay and and i think the root cause of that would be family okay he, you know his grandkids and things like that i feel like that's his weak point i think uh, i have some ideas i think maybe logic he might just kind of butt against a little bit but hmm. yeah hopefully maybe that gives some Though a weak spot to jam him in the in the emotional kidneys, if if, if you will. <laughs> well, he's your dad. I don't want to go too hard on him, but um, <laughs> I will try. I will try. My my wheels are turning. The, uh, between Enneagram Six, Granddad values has family values, and then has potentially a, uh, an Achilles heel for an emotional plea rather than a logical argument. Possibly, mm. I'll prepare a logical possibly. one too, just in case. It's a theory, yeah. Oh well, I'm very excited to meet your dad and to have this chat with him. So. All right, I'm going to come up with a strategy and then give your dad a ring. Alice, we are back. You have met and spoken to my lovely father. Your very lovely father. I'm I'm feeling closer together, I think. I hope so. So, of course, I'm biased towards you. I know you, and I would love to bring you and your dad closer together. I am a bit afraid that by the end of our conversation, I might have managed maybe to push him a little bit closer to being more sympathetic to millennials as a whole, but perhaps less close to you you as a specific. (laughs) Excluding me. Okay. Okay. Excellent. All right. Now, tell me, I gave you the inside scoop. What was in your strategy that you formulated to get old Peter to agree with me? So based off of what you shared with me about Peter, him being an Enneagram six mm, um, and security. him, yes, yeah, safety security tends to be a little bit more on the conservative family value side. Mm-hmm. Uh, my overall strategy, the theme of my strategy in mind was to focus on the family. Focus no on the family. The organization, like focus the organization. on the family. Let's go. Adventures <laughs> in Odyssey. Yeah. Five components made up my strategy. One, I wanted to find common ground. Two, I wanted to connect over family. Three, appeal to his Enneagram 6 need for security. Four, focus on just two topics. So it's really easy when you compare generational differences like boomers and millennials to get, I mean, there's so many weeds to get tangled in and there's so many directions I could go. I I was feeling overwhelmed prepping. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to, I have backup topics just in case he did or wants to veer off course. But I just wanted to focus on two topics backed with significant stats and I, and then five just keep bringing it back to family focus on the family just bring it back to family <laughs> so that was my strategy <laughs> i'm excited to hear if you manage to change peter's mind zero to 100 zero being that millennials do not have it harder at all in any area of their lives and 100 being 
they totally have it harder than boomers in every area. What number do you think you place yourself at? That they have it harder? Um, maybe about 60%. So, Peter, would you give me 10 minutes to try to change your mind? <laughs> right. Okay. And just to be clear, the 10 minute timer is only for myself, not for you. Anytime you want to hop in and ask a question or interject or share something, um, I'll pause the timer on my end. So I would love to hear why you personally feel that boomers have had it harder than millennials. Go ahead and define for me um, what you consider millennials. Because I had to look this up too. I've had to look this up. Mm. Millennials are generally defined as anyone who, the generation who was born between the years of 1980 and 1996. Mm. So mm. most of us are in our 30s to early 40s now. Mm. Um, and my understanding is that the boomer generation was born uh, from basically just after World War II through early to mid 60s, roughly. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of track with what you yeah, have yeah. in mind? What what characteristics do you observe about millennials or about boomers? I think with millennials, I agree with you. It's it's the time. Um, and the other one is, um, in Australia in particular, the education mm -hmm. opportunities that millennials have had in contrast mm -hmm. to boomers, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the opportunities they've had. Um, but it's really hard to generalise because, uh, I mean, there's such a diversity of households in, yeah. in Australia and America. Um, socioeconomic levels and and so I, I find it I can only go from my experience of sort of middle class white uh, male to sort of say okay that's the experience I've had with millennials that there's different type I think there's still different types of millennials just like there's boomers right yeah. um, I'm not in particular sort of keep saying the boomers you know have the wealth of the country but when I look yeah. at it yes there are uh, boomers that have got wealth, have built up wealth over the 30, 40 years. But there are also mm -hmm. boomers who are poor and uh, are sleeping rough. Mm -hmm. See, so it, it's it's hard to generalise to say oh. one's better than the other. And to acknowledge your point, like your generation, at least in the US, had to deal with the draft for the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Now, tell me, were Australians also drafted? It was mm -hmm. mandatory? Yes, I just missed out because of, of the ballot and uh, change of government came and I was supposed to register and uh, and then change of government came and it just dropped um, the uh, compulsory draft. My dad narrowly missed it too because of um, he did get the draft and his number was called, but because of his eyesight, he was disqualified. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of people, and particularly men in your generation, had to deal and face things that the men in my generation, at least mm -hmm. when we're just looking at Australia and the United States, have never had to deal with. Why do you think Conrad has a harder time agreeing with your perspective that the boomers in many ways did have it a lot easier than than millennials do today. I think he looks at the resources that we've had. We've lived in nice homes. We've, uh, you know, they've, they've had good education. So I can't see why he would be saying that, you know, they've had it harder than myself because I immigrated from Europe in, when I was nine, didn't speak a word of English, ended up um, in, in school, public schools, whereas Colin went to private schools. Um, so I can't see how he had it harder than than I did. And, and then uh, my parents um, worked in factories and uh, subcontracted as a track, um, track contractor 
and and they worked. I, I when I look back, they looked, worked much harder than I did. I received a, a decent education, um, ended up with a, a master's degree, and started a PhD, and and worked as a school principal. And so I look back at my parents, and they've had it much harder. Now I look back at Conrad, and sort of to think. No, 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 you didn't have it harder. You had it easier. You had everything provided for you on the platter almost. See, and so to say that they, uh, like Conrad's generation, your generation, had it harder in from experience in my home and and his friends, uh, they've had it easier. And, and the benefit of education, I think, has been a huge advantage for myself, right, mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a boomer, but even bigger for, for Conrad. Um, mm. to have a, a private education, to have to be able to travel um, the world and uh, and then to say, well, I've had it harder. And then watching how some of the millennials are very clever financially, uh, they save very well, They uh, quite a few of them have property now uh, and uh, are paying it off and, and some have good savings. And I sort of think, well, don't know, don't think it's, it's harder. <laughs> I think you guys yeah. have it. A, a bit easier. It's harder in the sense that it's a different world. There's so many more distractions, and I suppose the change, the rapid change, uh, makes it harder for some people who don't adapt to change. Um, so, yeah, that's why I say you know, sixty percent. I, I can see mm-hmm. it can be harder, but if you have an education and you can um, work in the world. Um, and and make it work for you, it could be easier because you've got the resources and advantages that my generation started to have and my Mm -hmm. my parents' generation certainly didn't. So I'm hearing from you that it's both um, personal, based off of your own life history, your own family, and then also um, to a degree cultural and just like objective, impersonal, just like, yeah, but there are these metrics. And you're absolutely right. Millennials do have much better education than uh, than pretty much any recorded generation in known history. I would like to see if I can find some areas of common ground between you and, and, and Conrad. And so I did a little bit of research and I wanted to share with you what I found. And um, first, it is the biggest dif- the biggest thing that I can see in terms of why men- many millennials feel that we do have it harder than the than the boomer generation. Um, it has to do a lot with the cost of for families. And Peter, I understand that you're a family man and you're a grandfather. Is that right? How many yes. grandkids do you have? Three. Okay. And then three. how many kids did you have? Is it Conrad? And then who? Three kids. Kirsten okay. And uh, and Andre. Yes, three kids. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, well, I'm super, super close to my own family. I'm the oldest of five kids and my parents are still together. And we're, I mean, family and loved ones to me are the meaning of life. Uh, I, I, to me, life would be worthless without them. And, um, I know Conrad and Brooke have been talking about maybe starting a family one day. And I know my partner and I certainly had conversations about getting married and starting a family of our own. And one of the biggest reasons that we hesitate is because we're not 
confident that we'll be able to provide for our children uh, the quality of life that we got to experience growing up. And I know that there's a lot of millennials who feel the same way. Um, a lot of our hesitancy to have families of our own um, does boil down to financial insecurity. And it's primarily a combination of student debt, the cost of housing, and the increasing inflation with wages that are not quite increasing at the same rate. Um, so you're right. You're absolutely right uh, that millennials do have much better educational opportunity, but it did come at a very high price. And so bear with me as I as I punch through some, some stats here as I have my timer going. Um, so in Australia, because this is the other thing that I had to do, I, I'm obviously American. So I was like, man, I have to learn about Australian statistics. <laughs> anyway, in Australia, my understanding Understanding is that the Whitlam government abolished university fees in 1974, and this was just in time for more than two-thirds of the boomer generation to get a large portion of university education for free. But then in 1989, free university came to an end, which was two years after the youngest boomer would have gotten their bachelor's degree and obviously well before millennials were going to go to university. So as of 2020, the average level of outstanding student loan debt for an Australian millennial was just over $23,000. Does that track with roughly what you know about? Um... It, could be, it could be higher now because they've just introduced uh, that they're linking the um, hex, as we call it, to inflation, which would be like growing by 7%, which I certainly don't agree with. Okay. Mm, the, okay. the only comment I'll make is that in, the, in my time, there were very few people going through to university uh, mm, level. Okay. Right. Whereas now a lot of people are going through university. So the um, because because it was free education, uh, mm. the uh, cost um, to the government has increased many many fold, and so mm. I can see why um, the boomer generation sort of said, "Well, hang hang on, we better start to charge for it." Whereas in my day. Most people were going to a trade or, or no trade, and I, I can't remember the stats, but it, it's very low that the number mm -hmm. of people went to university. So I can see the reason behind the government introducing a, um, a fee to go to university, mm -hmm. uh, and, but at the same time uh, the courses for trades are very, very low, if any fee at all. See, mm. So, so there, I can see the reason for it. I don't agree with it because I agree with you that, um, you know, you walk out of university after four or five years and you have a hex debt, which, um, you know, slows you down in trying to get a, uh, a home loan or, or uh, moving ahead. So, yeah, I agree uh, that that's harder for them. But looking at the uh, millennials that are well-educated and they're using their education they are getting a much higher income than when I first started. See, and mm -hmm. so some of them have been able to use their knowledge, use their education to get into uh, a home, a very nice home, uh, and uh, and have uh, savings and then travel uh, extensively. But that's mm. on two incomes, and uh, mm. and also the economy is now structured for two incomes, not one, whereas it was previously, you know, one. Uh, household income was just sufficient yeah. to to keep going. So yeah, I I will admit that it it is harder, but how much harder? 
<laughs> How much harder? I think that's where it does get personal, you know, because it has to do with, um, you know, like what particular family you come from and what advantages mm -hmm. your parents were able to give you and how yeah. much of your college loans you had to take out versus how much was be able to be privately mm -hmm. funded by your own means. And so, and also how much your partner makes if you are in a dual income household. And so I think, yeah, no, I, 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 I can see that. And here's where I also feel a little bit ignorant to, um, to Australian things, because what you're just Describing. I don't know. I don't think I know any of my millennial peers who are able to like own a home and pay off debt and travel the world and have a family like that might be an Australian. Th I'm sure there are Americans who, who have that, but I would classify them as not the average. I think that that would be a very exceptional um, circumstance here in the States by most measures. But that does bring me to um, just for the American friends of the show who are and, and listen to Ideas Digest, um, I do need to acknowledge that the United States has it worse than Australia in terms of student debt. Um, here in the U.S., there's definitely no free university, although there are occasionally Pell Grants for um, underprivileged and low-income qualified students. Uh, and millennials here face private education costs that are 300% higher than what our boomer parents had to pay. Again, just speaking for uh, American millennials, um, when the average American boomer was young 30-something, their educational debt amounted to just $2,300. And that is in today's dollars adjusted for inflation. The average American millennial carries a student debt between 30 to 50,000 dollars which is which is almost up to double what the Australian student debt average is um, so do you think could we agree that maybe it sounds like we can agree that student debt might put a lot of millennials at a disadvantage for starting a family getting a home and and achieving those those things that the boomer generation largely got to would you say that that's a fair? Yeah. Okay, fair agreement yeah. there. No, agree. Okay. Agree. It, and it's, it's, that part is harder, and some of them are putting off having children um, mm -hmm. or starting families because um, they don't want the debt um, to, to go forward, and there is that, creates that insecurity. Um, so, yeah, I'd agree with you. It's harder for them. How much harder? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay, so that brings me to to my next my next point, which would be housing, which doesn't necessarily answer how much harder, but I do think that like it, it may be impossible to quantify exactly how much harder because there are so many personal variables in each individual situation. But um, I know that these numbers really shocked me, and like I was already prepared mentally as a millennial, being like, "Oh yeah, I, I would guess we probably have it harder." And then I read some of this stuff, and I was like damn, like I didn't think it was that bad, but I don't know. I'll read you what I found and then I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, so in 1992, when most boomers like yourself would have been around their 30s, the average price of a house in Sydney, Australia was almost $221,000. And the average full-time worker earned almost $31,000 a year. So again, bear with me with these numbers, with a 20% down payment, if they were to buy a house, they would only owe the bank 5.7 times what they earned. And today, when most millennials are in their 30s, the average price of a house in Sydney is over $1.2 million, and the average full-time worker now earns $92,000 a year. But if they put a 20% down payment on 
else, they would owe the bank 10.4 times what they earned. And that's nearly double what boomers paid to own a home. Do those numbers, you're mm. an Australian, you tell me, do those yep. numbers seem about about accurate? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds, okay. sounds right. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, it's just as bad, if not worse my country. <laughs> um, to just briefly touch on a couple of U.S. numbers, uh, 90% of American boomers out-earned their parents by the time they were 30. Only 50% of American millennials have been able to out-earn their parents, and most of us are well into our 30s and 40s. Um, here in the U.S., millennials make up close to a quarter of the population. We only hold 3% of the wealth. And when boomers were our age, they held 21% of the wealth. So between the cost of housing and student debt alone, um, most millennials do seem to be at a much greater disadvantage for starting out life and laying down the foundation to start a family and, and accrue wealth and save for retirement and all those sorts of things and save for their own kids' college funds. Um, and this is largely, like you said, why so many of us are delaying marriage or foregoing it altogether. And the same with kids, having kids a lot later in life and sometimes foregoing having children altogether. Um, because even if we want to, uh, we won't be able to provide them with a good home in a good neighborhood, uh, which here in the States, your neighborhood determines mm. what public school you get to go to. I'm not, mm. is it like that in Australia? Uh, yes, similar. Some areas are zoned. So you've got to go to that school in that area and some schools are not. So you can move between suburbs and, and go to a different different school. So, yeah. So, yeah. So a, a lot of boomers in general, and, and this this may not be you at all, but, uh, but a lot of boomers in general, or at least this is what much of the millennial sound is out there when I, on social media and just in conversations among my friends, a lot of boomers seem to think that millennials are simply not saving enough or that we're being frivolous and selfish with our spending habits. But I'm curious if after hearing these numbers, just about these two things, about student debt and housing alone, I'm curious if you think that millennials really are being irresponsible or if the odds are at least somewhat stacked up against us compared to previous generations. I would question it and sort of say, yes, look, I recognise it's it's more difficult because you have uh, student loan and the uh, cost of housing has gone up significantly. There's no question about that. But I sometimes wonder whether it's a mindset as well that the millennials have compared to boomers. When I first graduated, my first thought was to buy a home. Now, I couldn't buy a home um, like, you know, three bedrooms, double garage, that sort of size. So we bought a a two-bedroom unit, which was mm -hmm. uh, about half the cost or a third of the cost of a, uh, a house. Ah, uh, so like an apartment we, flat? Apartment, yes. And okay. so once we got into the real estate, then we started to move up and down with it. Well, uh, looking at some of the millennials, and I can only talk to the ones I've talked to, their sure. attitude, or one in particular attitude was, now I don't want to move into a, a or go into paying off a mortgage see and and if, if that particular person had gone into a mortgage say six years ago they'd be on that real estate ladder now and it'd be easier to flip into or move into sell and buy a house and <laughs> and start a family that's what we did we uh, bought an apartment two-bedroom apartment sold that within two years and were able to um get a bigger mortgage and move into a, a house and then we started a family. So mm -hmm. I sometimes wonder whether it's might be the mindset 
because it's too difficult. Mm. The, the, the mountain is too big to climb, too difficult to, um, to say they just some give up and sort of say, mm. well, I can't do it and therefore we'll party and, uh, and travel and do all, all sorts of other things and not mm. actually stay. Now, <laughs> whether the other factor is I think it's also family background. Um, two of my children are in their own uh, or have a home, right, uh, already and are paying off a mortgage and one isn't. Now, I compare their mindsets and it's different. Mm. So is it the mindset that is mm -hmm. precluding them uh, from doing it? And then the mindset is, oh, I don't want to participate in a system that's ripping me off because I have to pay interest and, mm. and have loans. I want to be interest mm -hmm. and loan free. So mm -hmm. I admit it's harder, but maybe sometimes the mindset may be precluding them from moving forward. And then the mm -hmm. other factor is definitely, you know, mum and dad bank. If mum and dad mm -hmm. are able to guarantee their loans, uh, it's it's much easier. They don't have to have such a large deposit and so on. So I think there are there are factors that can help millennials move forward and there mm -hmm. are factors that will actually hold them back. But the biggest factor, I think, um, just from watching and observing, is their mm -hmm. mindset. Um, so I, I definitely agree with you there. I do think that, and here's where I, I have to argue on behalf of, of the millennials, including Conrad, that, that, that do definitely appear to be the, the avocado toast eating, traveling, going to go, you know, gallivant about the globe, don't want the responsibilities, that appearance. Um, I will say in, in their defense, uh, there is, it, it does feel extremely demoralizing to realize what financial odds can be stacked against you. And I can't speak for Conrad and I don't have his background. I'm not, I don't have a university degree. Um, my parents don't own their home. I did not have a lot of the, the, um, leg ups that if, if we were neck and neck in America, he would have more objective leg ups than me. Um, and I also, but I know I have many friends who do fall into that kind of category. In fact, I don't know anyone in my generation, no one in my social circle was able to buy their home without their parents' help. I don't, I can't think of a single exception. I, it was like a down payment as a wedding present, or it was like a college graduation gift. It was when they got pregnant with their first kid, their boomer parents made investment to help them ha come up with a down payment for their home. And I think that, um, speaking for myself, and again, I, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here rent is so astronomically high, Never mind owning a home that I know for myself, like my partner, I would love to save to be able to buy a home, but the odds just feel so stacked against us when we don't, we're not, we don't come from families who are able to give us a, a, an investment into, into our home building and accruing wealth through real estate. We don't have that. And in order to live in a safe area, um, I've lived in some very unsafe areas and I've paid the consequences of living in an unsafe, low budget area. I, again, I don't know what crime and homelessness is like in your country, but I know in my country it's, it can be really bad. And I'm sure I would assume the same. Um, and so for me, it's worth paying $3,000 a month to live in an apartment that's in a safer area where I don't have to worry about someone, a carjacker following me into my parking garage and, you know, hurting me or worse. And 
And so it does seem like one, one common complaint that I do, oh, and I have to be mindful of my timer here, but one common complaint that I do hear from, um, from a lot of boomers in general is like, oh, why do you guys have to spend so much on rent? Why do you guys have to spend so much on travel and mental health and, you know, all this stuff? It's like, you know, why do, just have a little grit, toughen up, have some discipline, focus and save, you know, and like logically, yeah, that's a very understandable reaction to have. Um, I guess it's it's also I think that there's a lot of fairness in that. I think there's a lot to be said for taking responsibility for oneself, not blaming external factors and being like, you know what, whatever it takes to do, if this is my goal and I want to be able to own a home and have a family and be able to provide for them, this is what needs to be done. It means I'm living threadbare. It means I'm living with roommates if I have to. It means maybe I'm not getting married and having the wedding that I'd like to have because hopefully it means I can have the kids that I want to have later on. You know, it's there's there's all these things that go into it. But I do feel like, just in their defense, it does feel very demoralizing to be living in a time where groceries are so expensive, car payments, health insurance, at least here in the States. I know you have some sort of universal health care where you are. I pay $400 a month for my health insurance here. That's half of a rent in a lot of places. And so between all of these costs, when I, when I hear Conrad talk about um, millennials have it harder... I don't necessarily hear him saying that he has it harder, although you as his father certainly would hear more about that than I would. Um, but when I hear him talking about it, I do see him looking, he's very good at looking at the bigger picture and the broader scope and finding the patterns in lots of different things. And I see him taking into account North American, Australian, Indian, so many different things that do seem to paint a broad stroke picture of like, yeah, maybe we, maybe millennials do have it harder. Maybe not him compared to you. Um, and maybe not a lot of millennials compared to a lot of boomers, but as we near the end of our conversation, as my timer is, is, is run up, um, <laughs> I would like to, I would like to ask you again, because this is, as I'm sure, you know, the kind of like premise of our show, um, have I managed at all to help you understand Conrad's position a little bit better and maybe budge your 60% just a little bit in the other direction? Um, yes, you're very convincing. I'll go to do that. <laughs> and there are some millennials that really have it harder if they haven't got a mum and dad bank, if they haven't got the resources behind them, if they haven't got the education, it is almost impossible for them to uh, to move forward and to start a family. Although in Australia there is there is support, but the support has been uh, reduced. Um, like um, when they're looking for mm. for work, that's been reduced to a level that's not not sustainable. And so mm -hmm. in those cases, yes, I agree with you. They have it much, much harder. And um, how much harder? Um, in, in cases like yours, I would say probably 80% um, harder, mm. maybe even mm -hmm. higher, right, mm. um, to, uh, to move ahead because the system is, is – um, designed, not designed for the people who are starting off. The system is designed for people who are intergenerational passing on wealth.
Mm-hmm. A lot of it is is very inheritance based. It seems. Um, yeah. No, well, thank you. I, I I appreciate that. And it sounds like so if we factor in people like me. And people like Conrad, if Conrad, if thinking of people like Conrad is like a 60% for you and thinking of people like me is maybe an 80% millennials have it harder for you, would you say factoring in the both of us brings you somewhere in the middle? What, what number would you put the collective of that combination toward? It's, it's hard. I need to have a look at stats, right? Look at statistics to see how many people would fit into your category and how many people fit into a Conrad plus category. Right. Yeah. But I'm prepared to say, okay, seventy um, percent uh, harder. But that seems fair. Definitely, if if um, if the millennials don't have uh, parents that have um, established themselves, have an education, uh, and have built up some wealth, uh, then it's it's really hard. Hello, listeners. My name is Casey, host of the Cult Vault podcast, a long-format interview-based show that focuses on cults, high-demand groups, captive organisations and more. Each week, I interview a different cult survivor who brings a story of coercion and exploitation along with their own fight for freedom. With nearly 200 survivor interviews from all over the world, you can also find deep dives into infamous cults interviews with leading experts in the field and understand more about how cults exist all around us and none of us are safe. Each month I feature a different author on the show who has penned a compelling memoir about their cult experiences which we discuss at length on the show with copies of their books available to listeners. You will never be short of insightful and moving content here at the Cult Vault podcast available on all major platforms. So Conrad how are you feeling? I'm coming from you, Alice. Was far better than me. Every Christmas, you're coming around, and I'll just sit back and watch you make my talking points popcorn. better than I can. And I'll just be like, "Hey, I'm just here for the show, and Dad's gonna change his mind." So good runs on the board. Ten percent, ten percent to beat. Um, I I really enjoyed the watching the conversation with my dad, and I just loved. I, I, I'm glad I wasn't watching in the corner because I would have just been like, ah! come on, dad, I'm not talking about me. Cause I lo- but you kind of took your time and you were patient and you pivoted away from the me because that's right. You know, like he, he did, he, I did well with his education and all these sorts of things. And oh boy, I love that you went into Australia and went, he got free education. Of course he got free education. And then, and then his <laughs> argument of like, oh yeah, then too many people were doing it, couldn't afford it. I'm like, yeah, of course you couldn't afford it because boomers finished. And they're like, yeah, we got free education. Boomers took it all. Close the doors, kids, <laughs> wind it up. <laughs> Everyone else has to pay. Yep. <laughs> so that was a, your Australian knowledge was good. Your and your tactic, I think, was hearing you articulate your tactic at the beginning to now. That was your perfect family frame to couch these examples with the anxiety around having family, which I think is totally true. Mm-hmm. Which is part of my argument because there's obviously so many things. But to to mm-hmm. couch it in, yeah, we we don't want to have kids. And I really, you know, I, I I felt well stuck up for when he's going. All right, well, maybe oh, everybody else, but not my son. I I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was good because you kind of highlighted 
that helplessness that goes, yeah, okay, I'm traveling. Yep, okay, I've left. You know why? Because it's so expensive. And why not go, yeah. like, I'm leaving, not, like, not because I necessarily want to. Well, I do want to. But I'm leaving the country because there's less options. And I feel like you really en- encapsulated that going, well, that's his mindset. It is partly a helpless mindset when I look at that property market and go, like, sure, no. yeah, I don't want <laughs> yeah, a crappy house somewhere. <laughs> But, but I also, yeah. you know, you look at it and it's like, oh, I could chain myself to this. And, the, and like, yes, the mountain is so high. Um, so I feel like you, you reframed to the person was very good. I also tried to stick up for you in the sense that like you are a very broad stroke thinking person. And maybe this happened mm. later on in my, my conversation further yeah, down good. with your dad yep. as we kind of went into the post timer bit. Which just I haven't like, listened to yet. I don't... For super friends, if you want to listen to that extended conversation, <laughs> you'll get access to that. Yeah. But yes, continue. I'm going to listen to it. It's, soon. Yep. it's good. It's good. But at some point, at some point in the, in the post timer bit with your dad, I was trying to say like, when I hear you Conrad saying that millennials have it harder than boomers. I don't hear you saying that you have it harder than your dad. Yes. I don't hear you saying that you have a, or that millennial, like I hear, because you are someone that sees that takes into so many different factors from so many different, um, parts of the world, so many different economic statuses. And so I was trying to be like, I don't think Conrad's trying to make excuses or anything like that for his own self. Mm. It's like, I think he's sincerely coming from a place of looking at like, the patterns of just everything, mm. you know, as the whole. And so I was trying to like depersonalize it for him yeah, a well. little bit. Um, Cause he kept, he, <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad you think so. He kept reframing. <laughs> he kept going, oh, okay. I, all right. I'll give you, I mean, the American example, you found the, like the, any Achilles heel of an Aussie he's going, yeah, but America's worse. And we're like, yeah, you are worse. We'll agree there. So you, so you got a whole 10% yep. on that. And then you shift a little bit and then he kept trying to reframe towards like, well, I still don't, I still think Conrad's got it easier. And to be fair, like the guy was an immigrant, came up, couldn't speak English. Like I'm not here to compete with that. He did well. I was, I was a, I was supplied for adequately, no complaints there. So I think your reframing was commendable. Uh, So now I think it's time to head into the Super Friends segment where we'll break down some, I mean, you already know our opinions on this one, but we'll continue the conversation, a little extended conversation. So I decided as podcasting friends of the show, thanks for supporting and listening. If you'd like to rate and review the show, that helps us. Any subject ideas, if you would like us to help bring you closer together with a family loved one, send us an email. We'll, we're guns for hire. We'll give it a good crack. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in and we'll catch everyone in the next episode. Super friends. To be honest, I was a bit frustrated. <laughs> I was a bit frustrated listening when you asked, you asked dad. People don't-